Good Tuesday morning and welcome to the Hometown Hour with Megan Suver from the town of Morrisville. Got several special guests with me today, but first off, welcome to all our listeners. If this is your first time listening, we're glad to have you. If you're a repeat listener, welcome back. So today I have with me two very special um, people from the Mooresville Police Department. I have Officer Latasha Watts and Assistant Chief Joe Cook. So welcome. We're so glad you're here. Good morning, Megan. Good morning. Um, One thing we always do on our show is talk about one good thing that happened in the past week. It could be personal. It can be with your professional life. It could be whatever. So what's your one good thing? Uh, Day off from work. Go take a son out to baseball and... Play out in the yard with some kids. That's so indeed a good thing. thing. Officer Watts? Um, I would say within the last week or so, um, I got um, accredited for the um, Advanced Law Enforcement Certificate. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah, that was posted on Facebook. So. Yep, yep. I think we mentioned that on here as well. Um, well, my one good thing, leaning towards a more personal side, since we did have a day off, we got to be out on the lake this weekend, enjoy some time with family. You know, before it starts getting cooler, hopefully. So that was good. Well, last week we had the fire department here talking about um, EV fires and which is electric vehicle fires, if you didn't tune in and um, all types of fires that they're dealing with with lithium ion batteries. And we're going to talk about some of the interesting things that we deal with in the police department as well, not necessarily on the fire field. But first off, let's talk a little bit more about um, you guys. So our listeners know who's talking to them today and what's going on. So um, start off with a little bit of your background, which whoever wants to go first. How did you get into law enforcement? I will say, though, I don't look at lithium batteries and Teslas or anything like that without thinking about the fire hazards now, because I actually saw that training the fire department did, and every time I talk to someone at, like, say, a golf cart place, we start talking about batteries, and I hear stories about catching on fire, and um, actually one of them, someone died from a fire like that. Uh, So I have to say that's pretty good training they do put on for us and uh, for our tow trucks. Oh, you're not lying. And even the hoverboards, I know that was a thing a while Mm -hmm. back about the hoverboards catching on fire, but still the same kind of lithium-ion battery situation. Um, My daughter was riding a hoverboard go-kart kind of thing over the weekend, and I had to think, your butt's going to catch on fire. (laughs) This is probably problematic. But anyway, back to you, Chief. How did you get into law enforcement? Well, I got into it. um, I was in Boy Scouts when I was a child, and a lot of my Boy Scout leaders were um, law enforcement officers. Several of them were like SBI agents. That's step your investigations. I had a cousin who was a um, customs enforcement agent. Uh, So I had family and friends, and I grew up with other family and friends who were troopers and officers. So I kind of like wanted to go that direction. Uh, and then, you know, went off to college and kept my nose clean because I always felt like I was going to have to do a polygraph, uh, to get into this profession and started with Morrisville straight out of college and been here since 2001. Very good. Very good. Now, what do you do for the department? I know you do a lot of things and it's particularly with such a big title. So I'm more of the behind the scenes administrative type stuff. I help provide equipment and resources to our officers that are working um up up until recently i was also over communications but we have susan davis who's actually been promoted and she's now running our communication centers independent of us now uh but i still help susan with that uh most of the time like i said i'm behind the scenes equipment cars 
computers, uh, the logistical side of things. The things that make the department run. Yes. And I know you also work with our SRT team, which we're going to get into in a little bit later. But along with making the department run, you get to um, work with some of the big flashbang stuff. Yes. The fun uh, toys. Yes. So I, um, I'm actually over the uh, special response team, SRT. Some people call it SWAT, you know, special weapons tactics from what TVs and movies. But at Moore's PD, we call it the SRT, special response team. So I work with the special response team. Uh, I'm also over the civil emergency unit, which is like when people think of riot control. We do that. Also the negotiations, the hostage negotiation team. So we kind of put them all together, and a lot of times we work together um, depending on circumstances. Awesome. Um, what's one hmm. thing you love working about uh, MPD? What's one thing you love about it? Um, well, I mean, you get to come to work and, and you have the autonomy to do different things. Um, and also, um, it's just different every day. So, Yeah, and great community too. Yes, uh, I'd have to say the Mortal is probably one of those communities that really supports our public safety. Um, there's many times that I hear our guys come back saying that someone bought their lunch from them. Uh, we have a lot of people in the community that wave with all the fingers and actually are generally liking our officers uh, in Mortal because they realize, you know, we do a good job to keep them safe. Yeah, and I know they do have some people that wave very frantically as they're driving around, which would probably be me. I have to make sure I tell everybody, if you see someone waving like something's wrong, it's not. I'm just excited to see you and want you to know <laughs> that I see you and, and have a great day. So, Officer Watts, um, tell us a little bit about what got you into law enforcement. Well, for me, with law enforcement, I started off in, I mean, mo most officers start in the criminal justice field. But initially, I wanted to be an attorney. So I, I worked with a law firm in college, and I decided that eh, this is not what I really wanted to do. I wanted to kind of reach people before they get to a point where they're in court and having to deal with lawyers and attorneys. So I decided to, um, I was working with um, another police department with their citizens on patrol and within the county working with mobile crisis unit, and I was working a lot with police and in different calls and responses. And then I kind of decided that I wanted to take my mental health background with law enforcement and combine it together. So that's kind of what I got into it when I um, became working with Morrisville Police Department. And then I got on also the hostage negotiation team. And then we do a lot of a lot of the mental health uh, work with that team. And then also with I'm on the civil emergency unit team as well with Morrisville. That's great. It sounds like you're very busy. I try to be. <laughs> And I, I remember from talking to you in the past, you also um, have fostered in the past yes. as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So not only busy with your professional life, but busy making an impact with youth on, in your personal life. Yes. Yeah, so I've been a foster parent about maybe about seven years now with different kids that I foster with um, Mecklenburg County. Well, very good. And you also serve um, on a couple of committees in Mecklenburg County, I believe, with um, like crisis and yes. mental health support. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yep. So um, what do you love about working for MPD? Well, to kind of add on to what Chief Cook said in regards to just the way the town really supports the police department here in Mooresville, it's different with a lot of other departments. I know being the recruiter from Mooresville, bringing in a lot of different lateral officers, and then the main thing that they talk about is 
coming to Mooresville, how the town really loves the police and supports the police. And they do get the waves that they don't normally get in bigger cities or bigger inner cities. Um, that That's the complete change. And a lot of things also about Mooresville is that with Mooresville Police Department, there's a lot of different departments that you can go into. You don't have to just stay in one area. You can be more diverse in different areas of the department. Well, that's really awesome. We're going to get a little bit more into what you do about the recruiting side of mm-hmm. things in our next segment. But we also want to remind everyone, if you've got questions, want to call in, the studio phone number is 844-STUDIO-4, and that's 844-788-3464. If you've got questions about the town, if you've got questions about the PD, we're happy to answer them. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to the Hometown Hour this Tuesday morning, September 5th. I can't believe it's already September. The year is almost gone. Mm-hmm. Um, today I have with me um, two friends from Mooresville Police Department, Officer Latasha Watts and Assistant Chief Joe Cook. Um, did a little introductions in our last segment, and now we're going to talk a little bit more into um, what these individuals do and what the department does as a whole and how we serve our community. So first off, recruiting, getting those officers in the door. That's a big challenge. I know not just for us, but for departments mm-hmm. all around the nation, everybody is seeing shortages, um, open positions that they're struggling to fill. Um, and I know we've tried a couple of different things at the MPD to help out with that. What makes MPD unique? What makes Mooresville unique for people that potentially could be listening to this show and considering a career, what would you say, um, Officer Watch, what would you say to them to encourage them to apply for a position with Mooresville Police Department? I would say that what makes Mooresville unique is one thing would be the location is that Mooresville, we're big enough where you can actually get into things and actually be the police and perform your job. And we're not as small where you're going to come in and be bored and there's nothing to do or there's one call a day. There's no Mayberry. Exactly. This is not Mayberry. (laughs) So I think a lot of people may come to Mooresville thinking it's Mayberry and realize that we actually do police here. So, you know, we're not as big as Charlotte, obviously, but we have enough call volume where a younger officer that comes in, you're not going to be bored. There's going to be something to do. going to be different fields and different areas that you can get into where you can actually decide what career path you want to take as a police officer with Mooresville. And so with all of our officers that we hire on, whether they are brand new out of the field, out of BLET training, or whether they are laterals, do they come in and go straight to those special fields or what do they, how do they uh, work? How does that work? How does it happen? Well, usually how it works is that, you know, it depends on when an officer comes in. If you're coming in as a lateral and you're pu- applying for that position of a police officer, you're going to go to patrol. But then there's times where if we'd, we're not able to fill a position internally like detective or SRO. Uh, SRO position, we may open that up to external agencies. So and then that way, if that person comes in as a lateral for like a SRO position or a detective, then they will go directly into that position. But for normally for a police officer, everyone goes to patrol. And then with us, if you are a lateral, you have to give Mooresville a year and then you can start going into those other special units. 
Absolutely. And that makes sense, though. They can get to know more as well. They can get mm-hmm. to know the area before they start serving in these different capacities and not just jump in. But as you said, there are instances like yes. with our recent SRO position, yes. we need somebody and we need them now. So uh, that is an exception to the rule. And it takes a different kind of person, an officer who wants to be an SRO. Oh, it does. Um, we, we had so, Officer Kratz on here the right. other week talking about so, that. Okay. <laughs> uh, just, I mean, let's face it, some some officers just do not want to do it or may not be cut up for that. That's not what they want to do. But we have other people who, you know, really enjoy being around with children, teachers, and students type and setting, and that they thrive in that. So, you know, mm-hmm. we look for everybody that's open that we try to fit them with their needs and wants and fit the PD's needs. Sure. Well, who would make a good candidate for someone who wants to join on it in PD, whether or not they have any training? Let's just pretend they have zero training, maybe straight out of um, community college or straight from another background, maybe a military background. Um, who makes a good candidate and what training do they have to go through? Well, I would say as far as who makes a good candidate, it's going to be their drive, their motivation if this is really what they want to do. And being able to initially just pass our testing phase, um, our multiple choice questionnaire, our oral board, those are the main things that if you're able to pass that, then we get you to the background investigation phase. Your writing assessment. I know because I have to grade those. So then once we get you to the background investigation phase, if you're able to pass that, then we own the polygraph, the psychological, the medical. We do get people that fail the polygraph and psychological, but if you're able to pass all those things, then you have to go to basic law enforcement training, which is about four months of physical agility, physical fitness, academics, um, and different things like that that you have to um, finish. And then at the end of that, taking the state exam, which is about a four-hour-long test. So once you're able to pass that, by that time, you should know if this is really what you want to do as far as being a police officer. And then for us, for a new officer, they have to go through field training uh, with an FTO, and that's about 12 weeks. And then if you're able to successfully complete that within the 12 weeks, or it may be a little longer depending on the individual person, then you're on your own in regards to being able to go to calls and ride in your own patrol car without a supervisor with you. So this is not a quick process. This is not a, I'm going to fill out this job application, maybe go to an interview, and then within a month, I'm a police officer. It's not a month at all. No, absolutely. (laughs) Which Which is good because particularly individuals that aren't a lateral transfer coming from a background where they may or may not have any knowledge of how um, law enforcement works. This long process, multi-step process, gives them that information, lets them make the decision Mm -hmm. whether this is really something they want to pursue or not. Just because they like watching cops on TV doesn't mean you actually want to be out there doing it. And it also prepares them for what they're going to see out in the field. And in my mind, that FTO time that they're riding along with someone who's more experienced, that is probably one of the most valuable things, Mm -hmm. too, because you're getting one-on-one experience with a seasoned officer, and you're also getting to know the community through that individual's eyes, which is great if we've got somebody coming in who's not a member of the community, maybe moving in from another state Mm -hmm. or another town. They're getting that experience. That way they're not... um, getting their state certificate, and then here you go, here's you a car, here's you 
all the things that you need, go patrol. Exactly. And then we offer ride-alongs as well for different citizens, too. So if a person is interested in our police department, if you're a lateral or if, even if you have no experience as an officer, you can come in, do a ride-along with one of our officers. They'll let you ride up to three to four hours each time just to kind of see what we do. You could do a day shift, night shift, weekends, and just kind of get an idea of what the town looks like and what type of work the Mooresville Police Department does. Absolutely. So what's the process? I know we kind of talked a little bit about the process, but what's the process? If someone hears this today and wants to start looking into becoming a police officer, what should they do? If the one of the first steps will be you can go to our website um, mm-hmm. and kind of see the different aspects of the police department. We do have our recruitment video on our Facebook page and on the Town of Mooresville hiring page. So that way you can kind of get an idea of what we do. And then if you are on our website, you can complete the interest form just with some basic information. It might take five minutes to do it. And then that email comes to me. And then once I get that email, I'll reach back out to that candidate and kind of go from there in regards to answering any questions that they may have or sending them additional information before they start that process, because the application can be a little long sometimes. So a lot of times people may call me or email me to ask questions before they start that process. And there are some requirements. There's an age requirement. Um, You have to be 20. 20. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to be a U.S. citizen. Yes. And um, no felonies? No felonies. And you have to either have a high school diploma or a GED. But then also, if you are going through basic law enforcement training, you could be 19 in VLAT, but then turn 20 by the time you get hired. Very interesting. And that's good for younger candidates mm-hmm. coming in who know that this is what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They can at least start the process and don't have to wait for that. Exactly. So we covered a little bit about what a candidate can expect. Um a long process. It is. It Many is. steps. It's, it's very, it needs patience. I tell people when I send emails out, you know, when they get to the background phase, it's like, just be patient with us. It can be a very tedious process, but there's a reason why we are very thorough when it comes to the background investigation, yes. because we have to send everything up to enough client training standards and we don't want to miss anything. And then that'll delay the process if we miss something. Absolutely. And some of the other delays have to do have to do with the paperwork that's required. Mm-hmm. And we have to ask the candidate to go track down and help us track down paperwork the state requires, which is tedious, time-consuming, and we have no control over it. Yeah. state says they have to have certain things, and we have to provide them. Exactly. And, and, we, and we like to have that done before because other departments may do it differently. But if we have it done before, by the time they graduate BLET and they have their certificate, we can go ahead and send everything up to North Carolina Training Standards. Yeah, and you're not waiting on anything else. Mm -hmm. But it's so important to go through these processes, too, to get an idea of what type of candidate that you're getting. Mm -hmm. Because I know with Mooresville, I know um, Chief Campertrani has said, we only want the best of the best. We don't want somebody who's coming in to just not serve our community how we um, think our community should be served with pride, integrity, and commitment Mm -hmm. and with respect. So we want the best of the best, and going through these processes helps us make sure that we get that. Yes. So what positions are open right now with MPD? Well, we have, have obviously, patrol positions open, and then we have uh, detective and a narcotics position available as well. And um, what have you seen statistically in the past, have you seen a lot more of people fresh out of college with no law enforcement experience apply? Have you seen more laterals apply? Has there been a shift in recent years? 
In my perception of what I've seen now, it would be a lot of the younger populations. I've seen a lot of people that are graduating from college, like with bachelor's degrees that are now applying. And then some um, high school, but mainly people that are leaving college and applying. So when you're going out and recruiting and talking to people, because I know that is part of what you do, and go mm-hmm. and do recruiting fairs, what kind of places would you go out and um, try to speak to potential candidates? College fairs? Yes. So I do a lot of the college fairs um, at different campuses throughout. Uh, I know we have one coming up at UNC Charlotte in September, well, this month. It's already September. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we also have one at Mitchell Community College, also September, September the 11th, for um, the BLET campus. So with students, um, I know because those are two different colleges that you mentioned, um, with students with a bachelor's degree, would they still need to go through BLET to get that? Yes. So we also, they can go to college or they can come on with the board with us and the town does tuition reimbursement. So if they want to go back to college, they can do that as well. So great opportunities to advance your education, uh, maybe advance your career yes. ultimately, mm-hmm. maybe advance a little bit pay-wise. Yes, because you get a pay bump, you get a 5% increase if you have a bachelor's degree. That's great to know. And I believe you have your doctorate. I do have my doctorate. (laughs) (laughs) So you have gone all the way up there. Very good. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about how MPD serves the community. And Chief Cook's going to give us some um, insight into some areas of his expertise. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back soon. Welcome back to the Hometown Hour on this lovely Tuesday. We've got Morrisville Police Department with us today, Officer Latasha Watson, Assistant Chief Joe Cook. Um, been talking a little bit about their background, how they got into PD, and also recruiting with Officer Watts. How do we get those um, good candidates to come to Morrisville, what the process is, what the lengthy process is, but very important process is. And now once they are employees with the town, Chief Cook, what are the different areas that they can take part in, the different units, other than just patrol? Or I know we mentioned SROs. Well, obviously, patrol is the largest division within our department. That takes up about 75%. Uh, But we also have an investigative division. Uh, The investigative division is our criminal investigations. We have general investigators who handle everything from uh, theft, fraud, all the way up to um, death death investigations or other serious crimes and in between that uh, we also have narcotics detectives who handle what you'd be like your vice crimes uh, narcotics uh, illegal drugs and then we also have one gentleman who handles ABC law uh, who goes around and helps with um, compliance with the ABC laws that's the uh, alcohol laws um, like I said we have journalists we have the Narcotics detectives that makes up in general investigations. We have crime analysts that help out with the entire agency. Uh, we also have school resource officers, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, school resource officers, they are assigned to schools, and they basically police the schools uh, while school's in session and also some of the after-school events. Uh, from there, we also have a traffic unit. Our traffic unit is primarily focusing on our motor vehicle laws, our traffic crashes, and ways to try to reduce traffic crashes with engineering and enforcement. And just to be clear, 
regular patrol can pull you over for a traffic issue. It's not just the traffic unit, guys. Most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. It's just the traffic unit focuses primarily on motor vehicle issues, and they're not going to be you know, distracted by someone calling the police department for a call for service or report. They're going to focus mainly on just motor vehicle laws, un- basically undistracted. So. Excellent. And I know anytime we have a major crash, they deploy out there to do investigations, to work with um, other agencies, whether that's Highway Patrol, whether it's um, other agencies from other counties. Yes, and they also travel uh, and do um, governor safety events where they'll go to, say, they'll come down here to Cornelius, they'll go to uh, Mecklenburg County, they'll go to Statesville, they'll go to other counties and cities, and they'll do checkpoints, whether it be seatbelt checkpoints, they'll do booze and lose it campaigns, uh, speeding campaigns, so they travel uh, to go around and take the campaigns. And we also have the canine unit. Yes, uh, everyone loves our canine unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the canine units, they are basically... They're patrolmen, with the exception we have one that's in our investigations. Um, but most of our canine officers uh, are a patrolman at heart. They will go and have just a partner with them in their car, and they can use them for um, anything they're doing while on patrol. Our patrolmen or other investigations or anyone can call and ask for a canine assistance, whether it be to uh, look for narcotics, missing persons, uh, they can also be used for, like, tracking. If someone flees on foot, then we can use dogs to, to flee. And sometimes we want to, like, check a building, open door to a building. We can send a dog into the house or to a building and start looking for someone inside that building without having an officer go in there and, and put themselves at risk. Absolutely. And uh, one unit that is close to your heart is the SRT unit, which you briefly talked about earlier. So what does SRT stand for? Remind us. Special response team. That's what a lot of people call the SWAT team or special weapon tactics. We call it SRT. That's just Morris Police Department has always called it that since I've been here. Uh, The SRT is a part-time team. All of our teams, uh, whether it be negotiations or civil emergency, which is riot control, they're all part-time teams. We don't have a full-time dedicated team. So we have... Guys and girls are on ride control, SRT, and, you know, they do their day-to-day business duties. But when the phone call comes in or we need something to, you know, be done, that's when those people come in on their day off or switch gears and they take on those roles. Yeah, I know we've got several detectives in the SRT team, and they're not riding around all day in Bearcats. They're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And then if we have incidences... um, then they can jump in and help out. So right. when when would SRT be deployed? What situations? <clears throat> um, a lot of times it it can be for, the joke is the SRT is who the police call when the police need help. Um, so if it's a situation where it's a high risk or a higher than normal risk type situation, whether it's to serve an arrest warrant, serve a search warrant, um, if we've got someone who's barricaded in a house or a building, that uh, we want them to come out, and we'll use the SRT to encourage the person to come out of the house. Uh, and so with these high-risk situations, they would be determined by the fact that maybe the individual that you are serving that warrant on is has a prior history of being aggressive, prior history of uh, gun violence, perhaps, 
um, it, this is not just you saying, oh, I think this is a high-risk situation. Right. There's reasoning behind there it. There is a reasoning. Like I said, we would not use the SRT to go arrest a nonviolent person. Like I said, we're not going to go in to go use SRT to arrest a parent because they didn't send their child to school and they got a summons. Definitely not. That, you know, you failed to adhere to the compulsory education rules and you got a summons or a warrant on you. That's not a good use of the SRT to be excessive use of force there. Definitely. But for an individual that, like I said, may have prior felonies. Right. I mean, if you like, we'll use drugs because drugs are very common. Because basically when you have drugs, it's assumed that you'll have firearms in the illegal drugs trade. So when you go and you start looking at a drug dealer, that a drug dealer has been convicted, and then in his history, his or her history, if there's been assault on law enforcement or if they've been involved in shooting people or whatever the history is, that that actually brings it up to the scale to say this is probably a dangerous person that we should act a little differently than just go knock on the front door and stand there and say, you know, please come out and be arrested. So uh, that would be one situation when they're deployed. Any other any other times? Um, <clears throat> we've had special details that, uh, you know, we want to have additional protection uh, for like site security or um, people. If we want to add extra security for a person like a dignitary or something like that, we'll bring in the SRT to help supplement that detail as far as like manpower and also give um, like some overwatch protection uh, for a dignitary or an event. So what are some of the tools and resources that SRT uses? Well, a lot of the stuff has to do with our training that we will actually train to use these tools more than um, the normal patrolman. And a lot of the tools that we have have to do with protection as far as like extra body armor, helmets, shields, ballistic shields. And then we have tools to open doors and, and things of that nature. And we have uh, less lethal weapons that we actually have avenues to use and we train on them. Uh, we also do chemical, uh, chemical munitions that we actually persuade someone from, if we introduce chemical into a house or an environment, that kind of persuades them, them to, to exit to come the out. house or environment. Yeah. yeah. So. And I know we had on here the use of um, use of force later on down on our show plan and talking about non-lethal alternatives. What are some of those since you brought it up as SRT? I know they're not strictly um, in only SRT's wheelhouse. There are uh, some non-lethal alternatives that regular officers, yes. patrol officers can use. <clears throat> That's one thing we've recently done at Mooresville is we've taken some of these tools, these less lethal tools, and we've taken them and given them out to more patrolmen. So they're not locked up in the building, and when someone needs it, they have to say, oh, someone run back to the office or run back to the PD and go get those things. So we put some of them out on our patrol hands. And those could be, like I said, the ballistic shields. Uh, we have breaching tools. Breaching tools meaning that when there's a, a locked door, how do we get in a locked door other than trying to kick it with your foot or slam into your shoulder um, and end up hurting yourself? And it's really not effective. So we have breaching tools that... Um, we've actually taken from the fire department's wheelhouse as far as like halogen mm -hmm. tools, and we also have rams, and there's some other tools we have uh, to open doors. Um, we've also added in some less lethal weapons for like exact impact. Sure. Um, so basically, it, it's a way that we can use pain to make someone want to do what we ask them to do, like drop a knife. We can use 
campaign to persuade them to drop. And I think I think one of these um, I've seen that we have at Mooresville is like kind of like a beanbag gun. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's um, we do have beanbags, um, but we have something that's called Exact Impact, which mm-hmm. is actually 40 millimeters, but it's like neoprene foam. Mm-hmm. So imagine being hit with a baseball. But we're, it's a neoprene ball that we just launch out of a weapon, and it hits the person where we want to hit them, and that causes a little bit of discomfort, and they normally will comply after they get a little bit of pain compliance. So different ways of, of dealing with people, of getting um, individuals to comply with and make a situation safer that doesn't automatically go to... I'm drawing my service weapon, or even I'm drawing my taser. There's There are other ways that right. we're looking into utilizing this. And these tools also give us distance, more distance than the taser, because taser, you have to be within close proximity to a person. Sure. Well, lots more to talk about technology that uh, Mooresville Police Department is using, so we'll get more into that in our next segment. And stay tuned to hear more from Mooresville Police Department. Welcome back to the Hometown Hour. If you're just joining us, welcome and happy Tuesday. We have two friends from Mooresville Police Department with us here today, Officer Latasha Watts and Assistant Chief Joe Cook. We've been talking a little bit about working for the department, how the department serves the community, how individuals can join the department, whether or not you have law enforcement experience or um, perhaps a lateral transfer, and all the technology that the department utilizes to serve its residents and visitors and the different teams that utilize that technology. So when we went to break, Chief Cook, we were talking about less lethal alternatives, um, the beanbag guns instead of service weapons and all different types of things that we can, um, or officers can encourage compliance with commands and help um, mitigate situations and um, bring about more peaceful resolutions. But that's not the only technology that we use. Correct? No, ma'am. We've got quite a bit of technology um, in the department, in the town. And I know one of those is something that can be a hot topic, but most of the time I feel like it's a hot topic for people because they don't understand. So that would be our flock cameras, our automated license plate reader cameras throughout town. So tell me a little bit more about what those do. So the flock cameras, like I said, we'd like to just use them as license plate readers, the LPRs. Um, we're not really big brothering people that everyone thinks that we are. Um, if you think about it, you have a license plate on the back of your car, registration tech, and it's designed to be seen and read. And our cameras, all they're doing or the flock cameras, they're just taking a picture of that tag and they're doing the exact same thing that I could do if I'm behind you is I'm going to read your tag and I'm going to run it through the database, the DMV database, and I'm checking to see if the if the tag is valid, if the car is stolen, or if the driver has warrants for their arrest. That's something that I can do if I'm in my car behind you. This camera does the exact same thing. As you drive by, takes a picture, runs it through the database, and then we get alerts or emails saying, hey, this car is stolen, or this person that's registered to this car has a warrant for their arrest. 
Um, so we we know to go look for that car. Um, we're not keeping up with who's going where. So all those pictures of my car that you've taken while I've driven mm-hmm. through Mooresville, those just automatically get they deleted. They roll off. Uh, we do not retain them. It's a 30-day retention. Uh, we use a company called Flock, and uh, we are not keeping that data past 30 days. It, it just rolls o- rolls off the database. And like I said, we could um, check and see if, like, if we have a break-in entering Mm-hmm. Uh, say a building gets broken into, we can run um, the flock data and say, okay, which cars went by this area at a certain time of night, but we got a very small window to find out exactly. when that happened and who it was. So it can give us an investigative lead in that sense, but we don't keep the data. And I know you mentioned um, that these readers are really looking for stolen vehicles, individuals with warrants that may be associated with these vehicles. What about missing persons or anything 100%. like that? Hundred percent. We've actually been successful. Um, we will put someone. Basically, if a person is reported missing, we will put them in a database, uh, the DCI, which is, and also NCIC, which is a federal database. Mm-hmm. So when a missing person is entered, if their name or vehicles ran anywhere in the nation, then the law enforcement agency gets a, a notification saying, "Hey, we just found Joe Cook. He's missing," and then we can call whoever you know entered them missing. Well, the same thing happens with the car. A person's entered missing, we enter the car as associated with the person, and that missing person drives by one of our LPR cameras. They run through the database, we get an alert, and then we can go try to find them. And we've been successful. We've found some people. Uh, we've actually probably prevented a suicide where uh, someone was missing, suicidal. We found them, and we didn't arrest them, but we ended up taking them to get medical care, and, you know, that was a life saved. Um same thing with uh, silver alerts. When you have um, people who have altered mental state, where it be dementia, Alzheimer's, and they start driving a car, who knows where they go? We have them entered in the database. Next thing you know, they run by a license plate reader. We now know to go look for them and find them. So. Um, and I know that you've mentioned um, previously when we were talking about high-risk situations with um, the SRT. Um, are there high-risk situations associated with anything you may, any hits you may get from these automatic, automatic license plate readers? Um, do you do you get the information when you get a hit per se that maybe this individual was involved in a uh, multiple felony? Um, we can put someone in, like say, a watch list. So, mm-hmm. if, like for example, we have a uh, a suspect we know that committed a crime, like say, an armed robbery or whatever, a bank robbery. We were like, okay, this is a bank robber suspect that's been using this vehicle to commit robberies. We can put them in the database to have them like an alert. And if this car comes into the town, runs by one of our cameras, then we get an alert saying, hey, Joe Cook's a bank robber. He's been using this truck to go rob banks. Then we can start going that direction and try to find and prevent and also maybe arrest. So who's inputting the data? Is it just us? Is it other agencies? It can be uh, more of police, and it also could be any of the people who use Flock uh, can put the data into their database. So, for example, our neighbors north and south of Mooresville, you know, they're also using Flock, too. Uh, so if Statesville PD or Sheriff's Office or even some of our Mecklenburg County neighbors have problems, they can put in there uh, an alert, and then we can, you know, see the same thing when they travel in our town. And I know... Um 
Chief Camperchani likes to say in association with Flock, we get a lot of um, hits with people who are coming uh, into our town, uh-huh. maybe not from our town, but coming into that town to um, get into some nefarious yes. activities. And it's kind of like an away game for them, just coming either up or down um, the interstate or maybe one of the side roads, try to hit the town. However, they may not realize that we have these systems in place, and if they've been involved in activity before, or perhaps they bought a hot tag off of somebody on the cheap and stuck it on their car, there's a potential that that tag's going to alert, and we're going to go check out and see what's going on, and it may put a damper on their activities they were hoping to achieve. Yeah, like I said, we initially put out like 50 cameras, actually over 50 cameras, and we set it up as a, a perimeter, like a fence around our town to capture people coming into the city. We're working on deploying additional flock cameras, so we're going to put more inside the city to help with that. Uh, we're also getting ready to deploy some license plate readers that are going to be in our cars. So we'll have marked police cars that will be driving around doing the exact same thing, reading tags with automatic license plate reader too. They're tied together with Axon and Flock working together. Drones are another really hot topic, and I know we utilize drones in certain situations like um, if we are looking for someone, whether it's a runaway, whether it's a silver alert, whether it's somebody who's jumped and run. Um, how does the police department utilize drones, and do we partner with anybody to make that happen? <clears throat> so we do partner. Um, we actually partner with our IT department and our fire department. Um, IT was able to actually take care of the purchasing and we partner with our fire department that you know we have a lot of firemen who are extra manpower for us when we need some help um, and we have officers in our own building who are working with drones um, so we use our drones a lot um, whether it be we have a canine track someone is out walking around whether we're searching for a bad guy or a missing person if we have canines actively on the ground tracking someone, we'd like to have a drone overhead so we can have a, a eye in the sky helping with the track too. Uh, we use drones for special response team. We use them for missing and wanted persons. Uh, we also use them for intelligence, just like go out and take a look and see what you know the terrain looks like. Uh, the fire department uses it for missing persons. They use it for drownings. They also look at uh, special events as special well. Special events. Um, so we'll see what the crowd looks like, monitor the crowd, and things of that nature. And we've used it with the hostage negotiation um, calls that we've had too before. It's a great way to get a visual without putting an officer or even a canine in danger, per se. And I know um, speaking with um, flock representatives recently at one of their meetings, that that is kind of the way of the future, deploying a drone to be the first responder on a scene to get a visual so that officers may know what they're stepping into, particularly for those situations where per- perhaps shots have been fired or you you know it's going to be an interesting situation. Well, we're, we're going to explore drones uh, further in the future. Uh, for example, uh, drone responding is an idea we're looking towards. And I'll use the fire, for example. Um, when someone calls in a fire alarm they dispatch a lot of fire trucks and they start driving uh, to this location it would be nice to have a drone to launch and see the drone and say okay there is no fire 
It's just a faulty it's alarm. It's just a faulty alarm, so they can maybe like not send as many equipment and people driving with red lights on. You know, maybe they can slow it down and then get there and then evaluate it with their eyes. Same thing with us. Let's just use traffic for example. Morrisville with traffic. Say we get it's a not phone, a problem. At not all. a problem. <laughs> Say we get a phone call that the traffic lights are not working at I seventy seven at exit thirty six. Well, we could send a drone out there faster than we can drive through our traffic because it may take us twenty minutes to get out there to the traffic light. It's mm-hmm. congested. Send a drone out there and yep, red lights are working, green lights are working. Mm-hmm. It's just contract. Uh, it's just a congested traffic. So that's one way we might be able to do things faster and easier. So just to be clear, for everyone who may have missed it, the license plate reader cameras not spying on you, helping to to catch criminals, find missing persons, the drones also not spying on you, used as a tool to help with our first response units in both fire and police. Yes, ma'am. Awesome. Well, thank you so much both for joining me today. Um, Look forward to maybe having you on again in the future and appreciate your service to the town of Morrisville and all its residents. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Tune in next week for more from the Hometown Hour. And we'll be talking about our upcoming event, our Bands, Brews, and Barbecue Festival, and hopefully have some special guests with that. Have a great week, everyone. The new 1059 100.7 WSIC, Statesville, Mooresville, North Charlotte.